freaky darlings. My name is Julia Deloise, and this is Bachelor Theory. I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a heads up about this episode. It is a bonus episode, um, and it's actually one that I recorded last week. So this is being released the week ending in February 5th, and I recorded it after last week's episode of The Bachelor um, that had Bachelor Nation just in an outrage. Uh, the sex work shaming, all that gross stuff. It was pretty horrendous. Um, and for me, it felt a little bit personal. So that's what this episode is about. And I think it took me a little bit longer to kind of think through this and just decide how I wanted to put it together because it is so personal. Uh, but I'm really pleased to be able to present it to you. And I think like because the topic, you know, it's a little bit heavier, I think that sort of I hope, um, kind of extends its shelf life a little bit. So we're not talking, I know the news cycle moves so fast and we're well beyond that at this point. But um, yeah, just took me a little bit to gather my thoughts. So thank you so much for listening. My name is Julie Deloise and this is Bachelor Theory. Enjoy. Welcome to Bachelor Theory. My name is Julia Deloise, and I am coming at you with another bonus episode. It's the second bonus episode of this season, um, and this is not one that I envisioned myself uh, recording, but you know what? We're in a pandemic. Um, It's 2021. Stakes have never been lower, so, you know, we're going to get into it. With Bachelor Nation still reeling over the awful, awful slut-shaming, sex-work-shaming episode that we got this week um, with Anna accusing Brittany of having a transactional relationship with older men. I wanted to talk about my experiences having transactional relationships with older men. Um, You know, it's kind of encouraging, actually, to see bachelor nation kind of so up in arms over this it really indicates that the fan base is a little more left-leaning um more woke uh but seeing the way the women on the show dogpile and try to distance themselves uh from those accusations as if you know escorting and sugar babying as if those are terrible terrible things to do uh, it really made it clear the way that so many still think about sex work and then sugar babying in particular is a very weird facet of sex work that is like so mischaracterized I I don't know if I've ever seen it represented correctly so it's really frustrating and if I can add my experiences add my voice to what you know about these things um if you're listening to me and you know me or don't know me hey she sounds normal enough uh yeah it's uh sex workers are normal people they're all around you and it is on all of us to learn about sex work learn what they are fighting for um, and why and how we can be uh, of service and allyship to them so the first thing that i want to set the record straight about is that being a sugar baby is work um it's really hard a lot of the time uh there are some pretty shitty experiences that come along with it uh, which I will get into pretty soon. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard. A lot of it sucks, and it sucks in a very specific way that is like sometimes, uh, I don't know, 
know, low-key damaging to the soul, maybe? <laughs> um, yeah, so that's why I kind of like get prickly when I hear this, you know, the the jokes that people make, people like to say like, oh, I'm going to get a sugar daddy. I don't want to work anymore. I'm going to get a sugar daddy and just have him pay for all my expenses. I hate my job. I want to quit and move to Bali and have a sugar daddy and da da da. Like it's like this really cushy, amazing thing to land where you don't have to work at all and your life is like so good. Um, so yeah, when I hear those jokes, when I see the previews like for this episode and I knew what was coming, it really like it really sticks in my craw um, because it makes me yeah it feels sad. I think of I think of um, you know some of the rough times that I had doing it and it feels very personal. And I think across the board too, like it never feels good to have your job cheapened or or poked fun at like that. You know, I'm an actor. I have been a dog walker in the past. So all kinds of jobs like that. I have all kinds of experiences where people, you know, kind of write your job off as fun or frivolous or easy or not that important. Um, And that sucks, you know, across the board. Uh, And then it particularly sucks when like, you know, the specific painful things about uh, being a sugar baby, those bad experiences um, just sting a little bit extra because it's gendered and there's notions about self-worth and yeah, sexuality, all that, all that stuff wrapped up in there. So, um, so yeah, when people make jokes like that, it also makes me really resentful. Like I just, cause usually the women who are making those jokes, I really just kind of resentfully think like you wouldn't last a fucking day. Uh, and I know that that is, that is common for a lot of forms of sex work. I know, yeah, I know most of us wouldn't last a day as a stripper, um, a full-service sex worker, whatever it is. So the next part of that um, is that I want to convince you that sugar babying is not just work, it is sex work. There is sex involved. Um, if you've seen sugar babies in movies or TV shows, uh, you might have seen um, some gals with a pretty sick setup where they're getting like thousands of dollars in allowance to like go out to dinner or like go to a golf club a couple times with a man. And uh, yeah, TV shows and movies are are where that starts and ends. That's uh, not real life. I'm sure it exists, uh, but highly, highly unusual. Now, in a strange kind of twisted way, this is something that the show actually gets uh, not, I would say, right, but I would say, like, not so wrong. And that's that, like, throughout uh, the entire episode, throughout these nasty conversations, they don't really differentiate too much uh, between the word escort and sugar baby. And, of course, there are... uh, quite a few differences and I will get into the biggest one in just a minute um but just like like they don't distinguish between them uh which might speak to how you know baseless or or uninformed like the rumors were but I it also like it almost made me appreciate it that it's like yeah you group them together because like escorting is sex work and sugar babying is sex work So, I don't know. Can't give them credit for it. Uh, They didn't know they were doing that, but uh, that's something. So, the biggest 
thing that I can say about sugar babying that I most uh, think people don't understand and wish they would understand is um, this one, the one particularly challenging aspect of being a sugar baby, and this is unique to sugar babying as opposed to other forms of sex work, Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not playing the difficulty Olympics here, um, so I, I hope it doesn't come off that way. I certainly can't say, you know, that any one form is more challenging um, than another, but I'm just saying this is one specific challenge uh, that many other forms of sex work don't involve, and it's this. Um, When a man hires an escort, as they say on the show, I also want to say a lot of sex workers do not like that word, don't prefer it, some don't care. Some uh, use full-service sex worker, whatever it is. So I'm using escort because they said it on the show, um, and that's sort of what I'm referring to specifically. But the best thing to do is uh, listen. Keep your ears open and use whatever terms uh, people use for themselves. So when a man hires an escort, um, a simple thing is that he knows he has hired an escort. However deep he likes to bury that in the back of his mind, however much he, you know, whatever mental gymnastics he has to do to avoid thinking that or saying it, he knows uh, that he is giving a woman money to spend time and or have sex with him. With sugar babying, um, the men do not see themselves as paying for sex or hiring a sex worker. They do not think that you are spending time with them or having sex with them in exchange for money. Um, The way they see it, it's like you are uh, just a regular person wanting to date regularly and you just happen to want, you just happen to be attracted to an older, wealthier, more successful man. So to them, you are their girlfriend. They see you as their girlfriend uh and that makes the boundaries with time uh for starters a lot less clear so you know for um for another type of sex worker they might have an hourly rate and you pay this much and you get this much time or you pay this much and you get this service it's a lot more clear cut um but when a man thinks that you are his girlfriend uh negotiating boundaries around time it's a lot trickier um and they want to have access to you uh a lot of the time so they think that they can you know they can call you they can call you throughout the day they can text you throughout the day uh for anything from like just checking in just saying hi to chatting to proposing phone sex whatever it is soliciting picture you know there's no boundary around the time there. Um, and that, yeah, that makes it hard. And it's difficult to try to set a boundary like that because if you were to try to say like, hey, I'm only available for texting during the day and I prefer not to text in the evenings and evenings start at 6 p.m., right? It's like that is not really the way regular boyfriends and girlfriends uh, interact or or you know communicate so that would be like a weird it's kind of like it's not it's kind of an out of bounds thing 
for you to say. So you have to find creative ways of doing that because uh, they're clearly, you know, for most for most situations and most of my situations, um, I think it's generally people that you, I mean, like like any other clients of sex workers, it's like it's not people that you want in your life all the time or to have access to you all the time. It's a very compartmentalized thing, especially if you're in a relationship, uh, especially if you live with other people, um, that kind of thing. So time is a difficult thing to navigate. Another thing that's tough to navigate um, is the money, and that presents a few unique challenges to sugar babying um, also. So like I said, they consider you their girlfriend. If you are messaging on you know, the websites uh, before you've met for the first time, they consider they, you are a regular old prospective dating partner to them. So what they want to do is exchange a few messages, usually not very many. They're usually just working off your picture, and uh, many are not great at conversation or are quick to, um, you know, can you meet tonight, all that stuff. So they exchange a few messages. They want to meet up. Then at that date, getting drinks or whatever, they want to, uh, you know, talk about your compatibility in terms of what they are able to offer financially and uh, what you are are willing to be paid. Um, so the site, you know, like many sites, has this feature where you can put your um, and I'm I'm speaking largely about SeekingArrangement.com, which is uh, something a lot of people are familiar with. Um, so that's what I'm talking about mostly, but there are a couple other ones. Um, yeah. So Seeking Arrangement has a feature where you can put uh, your range, your preferred range, um, what you desire to be compensated uh, per month, and they put on their profile what they are uh, willing to offer. So like any metric on the profile, it is meant to just be a basic, you know, gauge of, so you can see at a glance whether y'all are compatible and weed out any ones that, you know, your range doesn't match, right? Which is useful if everyone is using it honestly, uh, which is generally not the case. They are usually putting ranges uh, that are way more than what they are actually willing to offer so you'll see a range in their profile and then um you know they might make you sort of an offer right and it's way lower than that and if you politely inquire about the range that's listed on their profile they uh (laughs) get really mad now you might think julia it is just like regular prospective dating shouldn't you you know be going to drinks with somebody the same way you would go to drinks with anybody else going kind of into meeting up to see if if y'all are a match see if there's a connection or a fit um and then you know you you date a little bit and you ostensibly land in in a good situation when you find the right person for that uh but the thing about most sugar daddies is they tend to disappear actually uh it's sort of a numbers game because i would say something like 75% fall off after the first date, maybe the first two dates. I don't know what's at play there. Um, I think 
yeah, I think men, you know, uh, want to fancy themselves, you know, having a lot of money and prowess and wanting to be on the site, like being, in a, you know, kind of fantasizing about this version of themselves that, that pays younger, attractive women to be with them. Uh, and then maybe in practice, uh, it's not so great. Or they, uh, yeah, they're wimps. They back off. Um, or maybe I'm terrible company. That's actually not true. I'm really good on first dates. Very charming. Uh, you would love it. So I know it's not that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they usually disappear. They get shy for whatever reason and they go. So it is a numbers game. Uh, and what that means for the uh, prospective sugar baby is that you go on a lot of first dates. That's a lot of time to spend uh, uncompensated. It's all the time that you've spent at, uh, at these drink dates, transport, um, and, and getting dressed up and, and to the nines looking your best, you know, so you could be doing it for like a couple months and only have these little one-offs and not land something more substantial. So if there's no, I mean, there's no compensation for that. Um, and it's, it's less about, you know, it's less an issue of like not being willing to do anything uncompensated and more like if they are – okay, so I should back up. I set a rule in place um, for myself. I learned pretty quickly that this was a rule that I needed – a boundary, a rule that I needed to make for myself, and that is that I will not meet up unless there's money. <laughs> um, and it doesn't have to be the amount that we – you know, I have a certain amount in my profile had. This is – years in the past this is not part of my life now if you're wondering um but uh I have a range on my profile and I don't expect to get that range from the first date that would certainly be uh greedy and unrealistic I get that so it's not that um but I made a rule that I will only meet up with men who are willing to give a small gift a small small gift uh in exchange for my time and I go about that pretty tactfully I'm pretty proud of kind of the finesse that I learned uh in this game so what I would do would be you know after the plans for the first date are set you know we've got a time and a place that we're going to meet up I would uh, and I'm acting you know in these messages I'm acting sweet and charming and enthusiastic all that stuff uh and so I shoot them a text and I say I'm so excited for our date tomorrow night um I hope I can broach this topic tactfully but I just wanted to ask you you know Typically, I receive a small gift um, for first meetings, and um, you know the amount is totally up to your discretion. I'm certainly grateful for any amount, no matter how small. Um, it's really more a token of my time, and it helps you know to put me more at ease, and then I can really focus on you. Are you open to that? So I phrase it like a question. I'm buttering them up a little bit in the process, telling them I'm excited to meet them. And just saying, like, this is what I typically get. And it's true. I typically get it because I typically ask for it. Um, so I'm not saying, you know, I'm not judging them. I'm not telling them they have to or scolding them. Um, I'm, I'm simply asking them. And uh, as you may have guessed, you know, because it, it's any small amount. It's any small amount at all. Um, and so it's not about, you know, the money. It's not about saying that my time 
on a first date is worth, you know, 20, 50, 100 bucks. It really is. Um, it's about weeding out a certain type of guy. And this rule became, it was foolproof for me um, because uh, the ones who you don't want to be dating are the ones who fucking flip out at you for asking that. Just like get really angry no matter how, you know, like unconfrontational you presented the question. Uh, yeah, so they get really mad or, you know, they might uh, they might kind of huffily let you know that they don't pay unless, uh, unless it's for sex. They don't want to pay you until you have sex with them. Um, and yeah, those are, those are ones that get weeded out for me. And it's, I consider it, uh, a bullet dodged, you know, because to these men, like to these wealthy, successful men, like that amount is pocket change. And I will say like 50 is usually is the most common, um, amount that I would get when I, I, uh, asked for those small gifts on first dates. I think that was the lowest I ever got. I got up to 300, you know, someone chose to do, um, but yeah, so it's it's pocket change to them. Whatever amount they choose is pocket change. If they can't, you know, put a $20 bill inside of a card to say like, thank you for coming to dinner with me or whatever, um, then they're not, I mean, they're not the people like, like that's, I don't know, not stingy, but just that's the wrong attitude to come to the table with for me, for me personally, you know? And and so if they say, I mean, if they blow up, obviously it's a no-go, dates canceled, bullet dodged. Um, if they say no, but respectfully, um, there, I think there was like maybe one or two times where I really went against my better judgment and the guy responded, you know, so like, like pretty calmly and really respectfully and just said like, um, I don't really do that, but I'm really looking forward to meeting you. It was totally, and he really like respected that I said it. So I did go and meet up with him and, uh, it, yeah, it ended after, uh, one day he was fine, but it just, you know, it, it meant that a date of mine went uncompensated so that I just stick to that rule. But, uh, yeah, largely if they say no, even if it's, you know, calm and respectfully, I, uh, it's, it's no big deal. It's just that our needs or like what we each need to feel safe and and comfortable coming to the table uh are not a match so I don't go on a date with that man I also don't meet up unless we've established first in the messages that um you know our ranges uh that we would be comfortable or open to are compatible right it would be great if those uh if that range on the profile um you know we're honest if everyone is using that feature honestly that would be a great way uh to know but they largely don't and so that's why I have to ask and and some people might think like that's too hasty that's stuff you should talk about on the first date but I say that's you know that's wasted time for both of you why would we take the time to meet up if we know that you know our our needs and and things are not compatible just makes sense to me so I obviously experienced a lot of pushback and some nastiness there too because it was my preference to simply establish that. Um, not not establish like what the compensation is going to be or what, you know, what we, you know, it'll be this much for this amount of time or this much on a monthly basis. We don't have to like set anything in stone, but just a general sense of like if it works out between us on the first date, like going forward, what would you 
would you, you know, reasonably be open to? What would be on the table for you to discuss? Um, and and that, I mean, yeah, seems seems normal to me. But you would be surprised because these men are a strange and angry breed. Everyone knows about, you know, the cat collars favorite thing where they kind of go from like calling you a beautiful angel to you know if you uh rebuff them then it turns to like fuck you you fucking cunt pretty quickly um and it's kind of that thing with these guys too maybe not always that severe but sometimes yeah uh you know you can think that the the messages they're sending you might be like flirtatious or sweet or fun or enthusiastic whatever and then all it takes is you know you tactfully and politely bringing up the thing that the site is about and uh then you're a fucking cunt so I was a fucking cunt a lot (laughs) and I highly recommend it uh anyone endeavoring to go into sugar babying get comfy uh being a fucking cunt and love that about yourself. You know, you got to like assert these very reasonable boundaries and you know in your head uh, that they are reasonable and that they are for your safety and comfort and that it's you taking care of you. And then, you know, you're bulletproof. None of these things that these shitty men could ever touch you because you're fucking way better than them. That's, that's the secret. And the other huge thing about money um as i alluded to in the you know some of the worst reactions to that text that i sent uh they don't like it if you talk about money basically so these men who have signed on to a site where they know that the idea is that successful older men uh give younger attractive women money in exchange for time and companionship um Despite signing on to that site with those intentions, they really are angry if you talk about money or assert any sort of, I don't know, like personal comfort or or boundary or, you know, they, oh, I, you know, maybe I'm jaded, Uh, probably going to sound jaded for a lot of this episode, but it's a certain type of man, I will say that, who becomes a sugar daddy, right? They're not all... um, outright assholes or misogynists but there are like a couple basic truths about you know someone who would go for that gig so I I you know I feel like I experienced some of the worst of it but um yeah they it's like they want the money to be given and offered like everything about it is sort of on their terms right um because to them you're their girlfriend right and that brings me to like the sum of you know everything I've said for the last like 10 minutes the sum of the time and money thing the sum of them believing that you are their girlfriend is that the service that they are paying for is you adequately holding up that illusion for them another big bummer about this is um You know, it's not that it's just about keeping up this illusion, but the reason, the reason that they don't want to admit to themselves that they have hired a sex worker is because they hate sex workers. And you have to hear about that um, quite a lot. So uh, in the process of, you know, explaining to you why, oh, they love to explain why they're on this site. Um, And what they usually say, like they love to explain to you why they're doing it this way. 
and they they are quick to like insist that they're not desperate or they're like not like other guys on the site um they just are doing it this way because it's a lot quicker like it's a lot more convenient it's a lot easier they're very busy and they have a lot going on so they don't have too much time to devote to uh regular dating which is funny because like I said they also they want the advantages of you know calling it that when that's convenient for them but not when it's not so they're quick to you know explain away why they're on this site they're not desperate um it's just easier for them and they would never pay for sex they they uh insist very clearly that they would never pay for sex um and you of course know that that's exactly what they're doing and in the process, they uh, they will tell you their thoughts on sex workers, which is, you know, they, they put them down or uh, imply that sex workers are dirty or dumb or failures, you know, desperate, whatever it is. Uh, that is their opinion of sex workers, and they insist that they would never do that. So that's, uh, yeah, that's also an interesting thing to navigate. And um, that sort of leads me into my next thing, which uh, maybe I should have said at the outset. I really don't know if any of this is in a helpful order at all. Um, But I basically came to see um, that as part of the job, unfortunately. Um, And that is where a lot of these painful experiences come in. So, um, you know, people... People joke that this is like such a cushy thing to land or they say like, what do you mean? All I have to do is like go to a fancy dinner and like uh, listen to this guy talk about wine and then I get $500 and it's like, you know, one, usually no, Uh, there's usually sex involved. You're usually not getting that amount just to go to dinner. Uh, Although, occasionally, um, but it's usually with people that you have, you know, a relationship with and are probably having sex with elsewhere, maybe if not, maybe not on that particular date, right? Um, So one, yeah, there's usually sex involved. Two, even if it was just dinner, I, uh, have you ever listened to a guy who knows about wine um, talk about wine? (laughs) It's, it's fucking miserable, right? So, uh so I sort of think of that as like the gig. That's how I would always kind of like frame it in my mind, where it was like my job, the service that I am offering to you is sitting across the table from you while you listen to yourself talk about all kinds of wine. And, uh, you know, thrown in there are a lot of like casual uh put downs of women casual cruelties they just kind of toss these things off um some not exactly outright but you just know I mean you can just you can just smell uh you know the hints of like woman hating and and misogyny and things like that things like oh they're like they're disciples you know of evolutionary biology so they you know whether it's whether it's putting someone down for real or simply saying like, you know, women are naturally better at uh, caring, nurturing, mothering instincts, and men are better at uh, math and science. (laughs) So it's like, it's a lot of things like that from casual to flagrant. And my job was to be that sort of like brick wall for them. You know, it, it sucks 
to especially ah, being a feminist, being a, you know, like it sucks to um, sit there and have to listen to that and, and not say anything and not say what you think. You can't really have the opinions that you have in your real life if you realistically want to keep this going. And I'll tell you about a time um, that I did try to say something and uh, it blew up for sure. Uh, but yeah, so I think like for me to sit there and shut up when you say these things, like the cost of that service is $500. And that's why you're paying me $500 to go to dinner with you. It's to listen to yourself talk. Um, and it's, it's, it's me shutting up when you say offensive things. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, depressing, right? Um, kind of depressing, but I also want to say like, you know, I've mentioned a few times like hard experiences, painful experiences, and those things are certainly true. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I don't have any regrets about it. It was just hard. It was just something I did. And I think that, you know, we're getting to a place where we're, you know, seeing more sex work narratives and... I think that one that we're just getting used to seeing is like the the idea of like a very happy, empowered sex worker. She loves her clients. She loves that she gets to do this. She loves the flexibility and, you know, getting to make her own hours. And she loves that she doesn't have to work that much uh, each week or each month uh, to make ends meet and things like that and that is great I'm really glad that we are there as opposed to where we were um, and I think that that narrative is really necessary we have to get that across uh, to everybody that this is a happy and empowered life and that the stigma of sex work hurts women more than doing sex work itself and that's why we're fighting for regulations and decriminalization of sex work so that they can have all the happy and empowering and money making, you know, all that stuff, all the good things about their job that they enjoy and value um, so that they can have those without the stigma, without the danger, without, you know, cuts and yeah, all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that the narrative that we haven't seen yet, because we're just getting around to seeing that one, is like sex workers who kind of don't like their jobs. You know, like, and and it's just a job and not every minute was miserable, you know, like I'm sure, you know, people hate their office jobs all the time, but you keep going because that's your circumstances in life and you have bills to pay. And that's just, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could get another job, but circumstances don't always allow for that. So there are plenty of reasons that people stay in jobs that they just like sometimes don't like. And sometimes there are good moments too, right? Like it's not all miserable. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's just a job and parts of that can suck and you cannot really like it. And that's okay too. You know, like I, I, that's a narrative that I haven't seen very much, um, in sex work and, you know, in, in certainly in sugar babying as, sex work and so I hope we can all get used to this idea that me saying like there were hard experiences and some of it sucked like I didn't feel in crisis about doing it I didn't need to be saved um it was just my best option for a while um and and I I did it I'm glad I I'm glad I had the experience you know 
it definitely taught me a lot about uh the way the world works a lot about you know stuff that I knew kind of intellectually but seeing up close really hit in a personal way I you know saw who has power in the world and and how that power is protected um so yeah so didn't love it um hated it sometimes also that's okay Now, I mentioned before uh, their hypocrisy and kind of inconsistency in the way that they they apply this girlfriend versus sex worker thing. So I'm just going to go back to one thing there, and that's um, there are some things, uh, there are some contexts, there are some ways in which they do want to treat you like a sex worker, um, or I should say how they think that you can treat a sex worker. Um, so like it's not uncommon for first messages on a site like that to be um, just straight up like, do you do anal or shaved or unshaved or send a pic of your pussy? And that's the entirety of the message. And they think that, um, yeah, they, that's their inconsistent application, right? So they think they want to, They want you to be their girlfriend, but they want to talk to you the way that they think they can talk to sex workers when you and I know that that's not an appropriate way to talk to sex workers either uh, or really any human. Um, But yeah, they think they think that they're entitled to like if if someone, you know, if someone opened on a, a, you know, I I, am in the beginning in the beginning, I would try to gently point out those hypocrisies because my inner feminist was getting rowdy and like. I just couldn't contain her. So I would say like, you know, calmly, but I I would say, you know, if you sent me that message on any other site, like that would be kind of outrageous, right? Do you see that? And, and yeah, I learned pretty quickly to, um, not, uh, not just like, not just like pick your battles, but like, don't do any battles, you know, just, uh, just uh, block them, block them. Um, but yeah, they common messages like that all the time. Now, in addition to that, they also think that you should behave like a sex worker or they want to treat you that way um, with regard to like what you should be willing to do very early on. So they, um, you know, you should be ready to uh, meet up with them for the very first time in a hotel room to have sex or uh, these people that you don't even know, these people that you don't even, you barely know a name, definitely don't know a last name, have maybe seen a picture. Um, hell no, hell no. Sometimes they like, uh, even even like more innocuous stuff where it's like they offer to like pick you up and drive you to the first date or whatever. Uh, and obviously you're not going to get into a car with this person Um before meeting them at all but they get very angry uh at you sometimes um for this isn't all the time this is like half maybe maybe less than half but some of them do really grumble at any sort of like basic safety precaution that you are taking and um so things like if you say like I don't give out my number before we meet up or um I'll just drive myself there, no big deal. Like, they'll bristle at that and sometimes even 
really yell at you. I would get messages after saying basic things like that, that, um, like, like angry, angry things like people would say, how can you expect to meet anybody if you're not willing to blah, 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 you're going to be alone and die, bitch. I mean, like really intense stuff like that, but just like getting very angry at you and saying like, um, and saying like, you know, your problem is you're so mistrusting of the world and like you can't blah, blah, blah. If you keep being that way, you're never going to find a good man because you have to take a chance to fight. It's like, fuck you, dude. Fuck you. Like being that fired up, being that angry about a woman practicing, you know, basic safety precautions. And, you know, you meet up with most of them. And of course, they are uh, perfectly nice or at least perfectly safe um, people, but it's incomprehensible, um, to these types of men, to a lot of types of men, right? That like (laughs) the idea that it's like, yeah, we don't know which of you guys are serial killers. You guys all look alike. The good ones look like the bad ones. I'm not saying you're a serial killer. I'm saying, I'm saying some of you are, and, and it's impossible to tell which, you know? So, they get mad about that and and they they can't understand um, why you wouldn't be willing to do that. They think that sex workers are willing to meet up with anybody, any place at any time and do anything um, uh, without, you know, safety measures. Now, never mind that sex workers usually have pretty significant safeguards um, in place for things like this. Uh, you know, referral systems, all these complex and thorough safety measures that they and really resourceful things that they put in place to keep themselves safe. But these men don't know that. They're obviously not considering that. But in this moment, um, you know, to them, you being on this site means that you want to fuck for money and you'll meet up uh, wherever to do that because in that moment you are a sex worker to them so they want this illusion that you're gonna be their girlfriend um, but they want to disrespect you the way that they think they can disrespect sex workers and that's fucked up on two levels really so um, you know the other thing is it ties back to money I'm, I think I mentioned this before but a lot of them um they are really resistant to an outright say that they don't pay um, until until there's sex involved. Uh, so obviously, you know, I told you about my rule. Um, I told you about what I set in place. So that that wasn't these men, um, but a lot more than that. A lot, you know, a lot for every one of those, there was probably five of this other type, and they. Yeah, they don't want to pay you until there's sex involved, but they continue to vehemently, you know, insist that this is not about paying for sex. It's about paying for, it's about, you know, giving gifts in exchange for companionship and and time and, and, you know, you're on the hook for upholding that illusion even in the face of all these inconsistencies um, and unfair hypocrisies that they practice. The truth is that these men, and this is less like observable um, and a little more nebulous or amorphous, um, but generally, um, they don't 
value what you are doing that much, right? Um, and so, I mean, they think, they hold the belief that I am really trying to combat here, that it is, they think that it's some cushy gig and you're getting paid to have fun. You're getting paid to have these extravagant dinners and go on fun dates and get drinks and all you have to do is like look pretty and you get to like spend time with this awesome dude right they think they're they think they're super fun they think they're handsome and uh charming and really fun so they think that you have this like cushy gig by hanging out with them and um the result of all of this is sort of this like general perpetual feeling that something is kind of being held over you you know um I think you know they think they're handing over a certain amount uh whether it's a monthly allowance or um a per date amount uh and they kind of think that like their contribution um what they bring to the table i.e money is more important than uh and more significant um more weighty than what you bring to the table which is you know to them it's dressing up and looking nice and having a great time and getting money on top of that so they yeah they really think that they are um contributing more and so by doing that they think that they sort of like have you on the hook you know whether that's yeah time attention just um just a a feeling sort of like that and that is like little comments here and there all sorts of really subtle stuff but that is the vibe um a close friend of mine who um knew that I was doing this at the time and who I you know confided or vented a lot of this stuff to um he put it really well once uh and I I always think about what he said he said um you know it's one thing to pay for sex it's another to pay for a whole woman uh and that's really I thought that was really incisive that's really the gist of it they that's like what they think you know um the vibe is really that you owe them something uh even though you are giving them um what you are being compensated for uh yeah always this vibe like you like you Oh, them. Um, oh, I had one. Speaking of people who think they're owed something, uh, there was this one guy I went out on a couple dates with, and he seemed nice enough. We had an okay time on our first date or two, and um, we had plans for a third date, um, and we had the time and place. I had to cancel the day of, um, I can't remember what came up, but it was something like significant. I really don't do that, but I really needed to this time. Um, so I had to cancel the day of, and he, um, (laughs) I got like probably 30 to 45, uh, voicemails all in a row that night, you know, a very normal, um, healthy number of voicemails to, uh, send to somebody, yeah called me over and over each message was more angry than the last um yeah like screaming and screaming at me and how could I be so selfish and inconsiderate and people you know in the real world people uh make plans and you have to be where you say you're gonna be 
and uh, I was irresponsible. And um, this one is burned into my mind. I hope <laughs> I hope you guys like it as much as me because he screamed at me in one of the messages. He screamed, "How dare you disrespect your elders like this?" Screamed it. Fucking <laughs> disrespect your elders. <laughs> it was, uh, dude, that was crazy. Obviously, we never saw each other again. But, and I, I know I'm like, I'm not telling you, you know, basically I'm telling you those stories and you're like, yeah, that's men. I'm just telling you stories about men, right? <laughs> like we, we all get that. Uh, but this is just like, this is like a super concentrated um, area of those men (laughs) you know it's like a very high there's good men and there's bad men and I would say I would love to like compare the populations on like seeking arrangement to uh you know the real world I wonder if someone (laughs) can do the research there because it's like concentrated amounts of uh, bad dudes you know another angry man uh that I would like to pay homage to here uh, another angry man, by the way, is a great um, is a great title for like a a book or oh, it's like the, um, it's like the sequel to Twelve Angry Men, right? Uh, sequel, another angry man. Great, glad we figured that out. Um, okay, so this guy, uh, and this is a story that I referred to earlier about the one time that I didn't shut up and it it blew up. That's this guy. So. I've been seeing him uh, for a few months, maybe, and we were in a cab together. And he, uh, older white guy, you know, um, he began to suspect that the cab driver was purposely um, making wrong turns to run up the fare, which I can assure you the cab driver was not doing, like, for sure. Uh, But this guy, um, (laughs) uh, this charming man, called him out uh, pretty aggressively and, you know, accused him. And he said, what is this, a gypsy cab? Um, (laughs) Which is fucked up. Uh, Now, you and I know um, that gypsy is a slur for the Romani people. And uh, the stereotype is that they are cheats or um, grifters, stealers, like deceitful. Um, and so a gypsy cab would be, it's like a cat, it's like an illegal cab. It's another name for an illegal cab that's operating, yeah, um, outside of law or shadily, deceitfully. Um, and that's what this phrase, you know, implies. That's where that phrase comes from. So I was shaken. I froze. I didn't, I almost like, uh, I couldn't believe that I had just heard that and I, I wondered if I had, oh, God, you know, you know when you just freeze? It's the worst moments. Um, So that happened. We, um, you know, the rest of the evening, whatever. And I think it was the next day um, I texted him and I said, you know, I've been thinking about last night and I just feel like I have to come to you with this. I was surprised when I heard you say that to the cab driver because um that's a really that's an insensitive word um it's actually a slur and uh he fucking flipped out he fucking flipped out 
uh, insisted that because he was saying the phrase, which, you know, used to be slang for that, for an illegal cab, um, and and that's what they really called it, you know, he was lecturing me on, um, again, sort of like being a young person talking to an old person, and I didn't understand because that was the phrase that they used back then. So he was actually saying something accurate and not insensitive, and I had just like horribly misunderstood, uh, which I hadn't because the phrase, you know, it still implies that gypsy people are dishonest. Uh, so yeah, he fucking flipped out on me uh, on the phone and was yelling a lot, uh, broke up, quote unquote, um, with me, uh, which was fine. And I, you know, I was a little rowdy then too because I was so mad so I called him out on you know at that point I called him out on um the other stuff that he had done in the previous few months and that was a little bit cathartic because you guys this is the same dude that uh not only would text I I I knew that he had other sugar babies um not because he told me because he would sit at dinners with me and text them with his phone like flat on the table so I could fucking see it and like pictures and you know oh and he was like dude this fucking sucks he was like older so he's got that you know when older people have a big text on their phone so I could see the whole fucking thing I didn't give a shit because I I didn't like that I didn't, didn't care about this dude you know like not my business um who cares right but uh, very tacky, and I called him out for that. I also called him out for, oh, God, this is one of the more bizarre experiences. So um, at one point during those few months that we had been seeing each other, he texted me that he had um, a special gift for me, and he was really excited about giving it to me. Uh, all these kind of, you know, he, he was excited about it. It was specific. Um, and I think because of schedules, um, we weren't able to get together for like another week or two, maybe after he had sent that it had been a little bit. Uh, and so I go to his house and I kind of jokingly, you know, flirting or whatever, lightheartedly referenced the, like, do I get my present now? You know, um, yeah, lighthearted. And, uh, I could see that something in his face uh, just looked not quite right. <laughs> but uh, what am I going to do about it, you know? So he goes into uh, the other room. He goes into his closet and um, <laughs> comes back with, you guys, uh, a set of lingerie, um, which is not in a box. Uh, it's not in any tissue or wrapping it doesn't have tags on. He hands me um, like a, a, a one-piece thing of, of lingerie. Just hands the item to me. <laughs> and the other thing uh, was he gave me, um, it was like a knockoff Fitbit. But it cost, it was like a $10 thing. And it was in like a plastic it was in, uh, you know, like a clear, it was in its, this was in its new wrapping. It was in like a clear plastic casing, you know, like a, um, 
Tamagotchi would come or something. That's the only thing I can think of. Uh, uh, so he gave me that. It's like a it's like a ten dollar um, supposed to be like a Fitbit, but not. It's pink, and the package is like the the plastic is like all kinds of like crinkled and dented, right? Like it looks. I don't even know where it's been. It looks like it's been kicking around his closet. It looked like an item that you would like maybe get in your stocking or something if your parents like yeah I don't know if y'all's parents were like this they probably got you good stuff but I feel like my parents whatever I asked for I always got a knockoff version of so I feel like this was something I would have found in my stocking um was like oh you wanted a Fitbit here's this thing uh it was like that it was it was just like the kind of thing that you would have lying around for some incidental reason you got it at like like an office secret santa or um a white you know just something like you would sort of a door prize at a networking i don't even know just something with sort of like bland universal appeal and it was severely damaged uh, and been kicking around for who knows how long um so i uh well i wiggled out of i i definitely did not wear the lingerie because it was exceedingly clear to me um that somebody else had worn the lingerie uh so I wiggled out of that managed to not have to do it graciously uh accepted the ten dollar Fitbit um from someone's office party and uh didn't say anything about it until yeah until he broke up with me for uh calling him out for saying gypsy cab and then I called him out for yes texting the other the other women and uh, and I fucking told him that I, it felt really good. It felt good to tell him that I knew that he had given me someone else's lingerie. And I don't know if the thing was like he forgot that he had said this to me and accidentally gave it to somebody else or I mean, who knows? Who knows what the situation was? Maybe he didn't he got us confused, whatever it was. Um, yeah. There's a juicy one for you guys. You guys into that? Someone else's lingerie. Fuck. Okay, so we are getting to uh, the end of this. I only have a couple more things I want to touch on. Um, But I definitely couldn't do this podcast without um, talking about one element that maybe you could have already guessed was true, and that is the fact that um, many of these sugar daddies um are married have wives and kids families um I consider that a sad thing you know um I also consider it not my problem you know and I I wasn't really involved with too many of those um but I also I don't think that women are are wrong for doing that um so yeah so the main thing I mean the main thing that I didn't want to deal with about men with families is um you know it's like it's your business what you're doing your relationship but uh it becomes it often becomes a thing where you need to like it it becomes like partly on you to keep this secret and when it starts affecting like you that's where it sucks right because it, it means like you know not that you're like lying to anybody I mean you're not yeah um but just in, in, in little things like it's like like driving you know 
into the suburbs or whatever to have dinner dates because in the city, like, you know too many people and, you know, things like that. And it's like, I'm not going to drive, you know, as soon as I have to drive further, like, that's already, you know, if anything is harder for me because of because of this being your situation, it's like, okay, then I'm not, you know, I'm not doing this, right? Um, the other thing that... Uh, really sucks about men with wives doing this and this you see a lot in the messages um before you're meeting up a lot in the like chatting and getting to know you messages um but men are I mean a lot of them uh don't have they don't have uh boundaries or or decorum (laughs) and they feel no hesitation about kind of venting to you uh, or confiding in you really um and that's that's kind of worse about the situation with their wives so in these messages you see this a lot like in yeah in the chatting and getting to know you messages on sites um but they'll kind of explain to you why they're doing this um as if you're interested in that as if they need to explain um, but the reason is always, always, always um, their wife stopped having sex with them. And this would make my blood fucking boil uh, because one, um, don't fucking talk to me about that, you know, <laughs> not my business, not my problem. Uh, and, and two, I just, I wanted to scream at them because I could so clearly like imagine what was going on you know I want to scream at them like and why why did your wife stop having sex with you because they act like that happened in a vacuum they act like they presented as if one day their wife simply stopped having sex with them and refused to do it anymore just flat out abruptly um suddenly you know full stop and and she made that decision and he's left out in the cold so uh and and, you know they they texture that tale a lot they tell you that they feel lonely or that they don't feel attracted or they want to feel you know just a spark because she doesn't make him feel that way um yeah they act like this is uh the cause rather than a symptom a symptom of years uh you know the the toll that years of marriage takes on you right like years of kids and finances and houses and all this stuff you know long long marriages that have simply lost that for whatever reason and with a lot of these men you know the structure of the family is that they're the breadwinners and often um the woman stays at home or she doesn't stay at home she also works and also is like majorly pretty much solely responsible for um child rearing and and house cleaning and stuff like that it's called the second shift look it up you guys um but um so i would like find myself empathizing with these women who I didn't even know um and uh I felt like like I I wanted to defend them (laughs) against uh their own jerk husbands who were messaging me or or sitting across from me 
Um, and, and not just empathize, you know, not just feel for them because their husbands are interested in cheating on them, but also because, like, how dare you fucking say that to somebody outside of your marriage, you know, about your partner? Um, yeah, to tell somebody else that is so gross and not a good partner at all. And the fact, I think the fact that they would disclose that to me um, and not, you know, honor that as like her business or their own, you know, their their private matters. The fact that someone would tell me that, um, I don't know, it sort of like paints a picture. And this might be, you know, it, it might be too much of a generalization, but really it's like, I don't know, dude, like you probably did something to make her stop wanting to have sex with you, right? If she doesn't feel like having sex with you, you probably made her not feel like having sex with you, right? And and I'm just imagining, you know, all this like like after the kids and housework and a job that she maybe has or maybe doesn't, she's probably exhausted, you know? And and I I just wonder if you like I wonder if these dudes have ever they can't conceive of that. They can only grasp like the effect that it has on them. So it's really probably this complex and like long, long um, journey, you know, this years of wear and tear of how they got to this place. But he only sees, you know, the moment when he uh, tries to initiate sex um, and doesn't get it. And instead of, you know, like working hard to make time or make her feel special and sexy or better yet like taking on some of the housework and kid work that you know makes her so exhausted and ill-equipped for sex I mean that would never enter his atmosphere um because because he's this type of person because he's the type of person who would tell me that in the first place so when that happens I feel like I know something pretty crucial um about that that man and sometimes those marriages but yeah so that narrative is usually uh served up um in in service of he wants to it's like he's trying to explain to you why he's like kind of forced to do this right like it's understandable um almost as if she like forced his hand by doing this so they have to like make themselves feel better about that that's that's what they think they're doing and that really ties in like back to that thing that I said about like like they it's like they're owed something um and to them their wife just stopped having sex with them for some unknowable reason um and that's bad because as his wife she owes it to him he feels like he is owed um sex and desire and he feels like he's owed that without putting in the work that is like often needed in a relationship to be in a happy and stable enough place where sex uh regular sex and um good sex is happening right in a relationship that that takes work right in long-term relationships of course uh of course the sex life lags a little bit and it takes communication and a healthy you know relationship outside of your sexual one 
to uh, to make sex happen. But he feels like he is like entitled to skip those hurdles, and he's just owed the prize at the end, which is like a, an active sex life and desirability and all this stuff. And it's it's kind of disturb. I don't know. It's disturbing to see that. It's it's very weird. I really think that I think that they're like confusing two different ideas the first of which is like you know the reasonable idea that sex is like a basic human need for the vast majority of us yes we wouldn't die right but it's a it's a crucial part of the human experience we are you know we want sex it's a it's a basic reasonable need to want to have that met right and then the second idea is that like you're owed that right and I think he's confused like I think he's like he thinks of himself as, you know, it's a basic human need. So if someone's not giving it to me, then it only makes sense that I would I would go elsewhere to get it. And how can you blame me? Because it's a basic human need. And it's like, it is, but it, I mean, it doesn't, that's not the same as like you're owed it. It means you have to do the work to get there. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, dude, you know? So, yeah, you know, on the subject of sex, um, I can tell you, and maybe this is guessable, but the sex uh, that you have with sugar daddies is, it ranges actually from um, straight up bad, bad to uh, not so good, you know? Uh, it's not so good, right? And uh, why? Oh, well, um, you know, the average sexual ability of straight white males is kind of low already, right? They're not doing great. So then um, you kind of factor in that these are uh, wealthy and successful men and the men who get rewarded in that way in this world uh, are not always the most uh, imaginative or um, mm, communicative, uh, things like that. So it doesn't end up being very good. Plus, add on top of that, you know, um, many of these men were having like their formative sexual relationships kind of before it was so common for women to like be able to articulate what they want and like in bed um and so yeah I think a lot of them are handicapped in in that department it's like maybe your wife wouldn't have stopped wanting to fuck you if you weren't so bad at fucking you know <laughs> um I feel for her so yeah that's i mean that's a thing to weather as well i actually had um one guy that i messaged with briefly and uh in his profile sorry i have something in my teeth okay cool julia don't you edit the podcast yes i do but i'm leaving this in here okay um so i was messaging with this guy uh really briefly and in my profile i had like it was like a short you know line about it was meant to you know reel him in a line about like sexuality and like what i'm you know quote unquote looking for i said like i'm looking for someone who's not afraid to take instructions you know winky face um and that's just, you know, you got to mention sex in the profile. It's good advertising. Um, so a man messaged me and he said something cheeky about how he wouldn't need ex instruction because he already knew exactly how to please a woman and he couldn't possibly be any better at it. Um, 
you know, and I, I wrote back, I said, don't you think sex, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to meet up with this guy immediately, but I thought I would take a twirl talking to him. And that's what I learned very quickly is, is don't take a twirl. That's what I would advise anyone to do. Uh, if you get into this, don't take a twirl. Don't get mad at the, it's just, you know, it builds up for you and don't take the time to die on any hills just block and move on right so I wrote back I said don't you think sex is better when it's communicative and uh, uh, curious you know like an interplay between people and he really balked at this and uh, doubled down on his claim he said like I wouldn't need to tell him anything at all he already knew Um, yeah he like already knew from uh, that's what he was insisting from a picture and a name that's not even my first, you know, that are not even my real first name, right? He already knew like how to best please me, this person that he's never fucking laid eyes on. So yeah, I I was feeling rowdy and I <laughs> I definitely messaged back like, you know, people who insist that they're the best and don't need to listen to their partner uh, usually end up being the worst at sex actually. And it escalated, yeah, um, in sharp tones and ended him uh, with him like very huffily, you know, tell, telling me what I was missing out on, of course, by not going out with him um, before blocking me. So yeah, some of them do go that way, but that's the attitude, right? It's, it's the guys, I hate this shit. It's, you know, when a guy like, um, a guy like loves to like congratulate himself for how much he loves uh, eating pussy. He loves going down on a woman and um, he like wants her to come so many times. And if you ever try to like, like if you're like done, like if it happens and you're done and you try to like gently like lift his head or like, you know, you give the symbol, you, the signal, right? You give the, you give the like, I'm done signal. Let's move on. Grateful, you know, uh, yeah. And it's, um, and they like, they want to stay down there, right? They like insist on staying down there. Like they're, or, and they're like, I'm not done yet. And they like want to make you, am I making sense here? You guys know those guys. I fucking hate that because it's more about them. It's, it's about them and a, a trophy um, and their dick than of course actually uh, pleasing a woman. So this guy had, had big, big that vibes, which I think is pretty commonly found in this universe. So the last thing to know about sex in sugar baby land is that this um, this very bad to at best mediocre sex that you're having, um, he is going to be like fucking blown away at it, you know, after it's over um he like acts like it's the most wild passionate like best sex he's ever fucking had and what's even more of a bummer is that this sort this is like also sort of how he acts about the entire relationship he like a lot of times i mean like they think that you have this incredible passionate whirlwind connection like an unmatched you know passion for each other they tell you this breathlessly like they're they're that clueless they think you're like I mean they're like what is happening to us we're just like so swept up in this you know it's like 
my dude, it took four dates before you asked me a single question, you know, like, and they think that that's, eh. look, in my experience with incredible, passionate whirlwind connections, they're like unmistakable, right? Like you're so consumed by your new love. It's like a, it's a locomotive and it's like coming down the tracks and there's no stopping it. Um, and you like, you know that I hope, I, I hope that that people have that experience, you know? I, I hope that people know what that feels like. And it, it kind of, I mean, it makes me a little bit sad for them almost that like their experiences in in love are so limited that like my, what's often just polite silence is confused for this like ardent, you know, romantic connection. It's it's wild to me that they could they could mistake that um but that's kind of that's how they treat it it's um it's this magical thing that you guys are both so wrapped up in and that's a big bummer men are men are a big bummer and i shouldn't say that i know um and i know that i've been making you know a lot of generalizations on this episode um but I hope I hope you get that I feel comfortable doing that because of the amount of time that I spent doing this and I did it across several cities so it is you know it's generalizations that are based on like a lot of uh enduring trends that I observed from a lot of data a significant amount of data so I feel okay about that you know and not everybody is 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 the worst right like everybody can't be the worst and the ones who really were it's like I tried to you know I tried to do this exercise to and it was more about taking care of me actually than like lending them any grace uh but I would try to you know if I felt like I didn't like spending time with them I would try to find the one good thing about them or you try to like find what's interesting or intriguing or lovely about somebody even you know you try to like see um you try to imagine like what do the people who love them like love best about them and you try to see that thing and yeah for me it was helpful to identify that and and yeah and kind of lean into that but yeah and I mean the the boring truth is that like most of that I mean yeah once you weed out the quick to anger ones most of them are like perfectly perfectly nice and and really you know hey I'm gonna prove that I um have a very balanced view of this whole thing and maybe I'll end I'll end on telling you like about a really great person um that I met definitely a standout and I really came to uh I really came to be affectionate towards this guy really liked him we had a ton of fun um yeah our our first date was super fun we like took turns going to the bathroom to do coke and we were like yeah just drinking and laughing our heads off the first time we met and we figured out that we both had we both um loved sound of music and so when he was walking me home uh we were like singing um we're singing the sound of music songs at the top of our lungs we were uh singing i have confidence from the sound of music uh so yeah i mean lovely lovely things happened we went on to we had a lot more fun together and you know he wouldn't there were other there were a couple things that i 
didn't love about him he wouldn't have been you know my partner in my quote-unquote real life but um it was a great time so yeah so uh there there are good ones too and I guess that's where I'm gonna leave you I am so grateful for you listening all the time um but definitely especially this episode um I guess it's been it's been pretty cathartic for me honestly uh been pretty therapeutic this might be billable hours you guys so just let me know where to mail the copay um but I'm really glad uh in a weird way that I that the bachelor sort of uh gave us an opening to talk about this stuff um I can virtually guarantee um that you know a sex worker at least one um yeah whether you know it or not I I bet that you do um so yeah we all need to uh, don't be Anna don't be Anna nobody be Anna we're not putting people down we're not cheapening anybody's job um we're we're listening and and being curious and uh showing empathy for each other so that's that uh Thank you so much for listening. My name is Julia Delois, and this is Bachelor Theory. Bye.